0: All right, please stand. <laughs> uh, please stand. Praise God. While they are finding that, for today, I want us to read, apart from the two passages that we have best the series on, let's read Psalm 11 and um, verse number 3. Psalm 11, verse number 3. This is apart from Psalm 127 and Psalm 128, which we will read in the process of today since we are picking up our series on family life and parenting in an age of open-ended value systems. Um, Psalm 11. We'll pick up a focus on verse 3, but let's read verse 1 and 2. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to me, Flee like a bird to your mountain, for look, the wicked bend their bows, they set their arrows against the strings, to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. Now, verse 3 will be a focus today after I've done the intro and so on. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have to share your most holy word today. Thank you for each of these, every one of these, your sons and daughters, whom, for whom you shed your precious blood. I ask that today you will not only disclose your mind, but Lord, you'll be gracious as always to help us comprehend the truth that you present to us. And that, Lord, in your mercy, you will be able to grant us the opportunity to respond to you, to make commitments, and to run on for the kingdom. We seek these mercies today, and the anointing to deliver your word faithfully through Jesus, our Lord and Savior, with thanksgiving. Amen. You may kindly be seated. So we are continuing today with our series i know we took a little bit of a break because of these travels and last week we had guessed um, our series short series family life and parenting in an edge of open-ended value systems because of the space in between i'll do a very brisk recap in session one we indicated that this teaching applies to those seeking to know god's mind on the role of the family in society that it also includes those who are families and parents of young children, maybe zero to 13, parents of teenagers, 14 to 19, any parents and grandparents, guardians who are connected to teenagers of um, young adults. Additionally, We say that this teaching applies to those who are engaged couples, those who are expectant, meaning expectant couples. You're married but not yet having children. No matter how long it takes for you to have children, you will be able to benefit from what we're dealing with here and also to teenagers and young adults. So I've asked that you listen very intently. In the first session, we also indicated that the teaching focuses uh, on timeless truths. Um, within the scriptures that are from Psalm 127 and Psalm 128. Those two psalms are very, very critical. And those two psalms remind us of the biblical mandate for stable family and family life and parenting. Those two psalms also remind us that life securities and blessings are gifts from God. And, And I want us to keep that in mind. And so we've constantly referred to verse number one of Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds. Other important reminders in what we have established so far, um, and which I also found in Psalm 127 and Psalm 128, are the fact that, number one, family life is central and fundamental to the stability of society. That is unquestionable. And the more stable families are, the more stable the society is. This week, I had the privilege of uh, doing a devotion on Friday morning at the Zambian National Service Command. In fact, uh, let me be faithful, because the, um, the, command, the, the commandant, uh, Lieutenant General Solochi, specifically said, please convey to the church this Sunday our greetings. And he says, in fact, some of us might soon be attending. He said that. I had the opportunity to, um, to minister. You received those greetings? All right. I had the, put, put, oh, the opportunity to do a devotion there. And here were my comments. This is the very top command of that entity. Once a month, they have that kind of gathering where they get a speaker and top command. The generals... And Kennels. listen to God's word. And I said to the commandant. This kind of deliberate approach of strengthening your top command to the level where they are looking to God for guidance assures us of the fact that those kinds of people will be stable in society and they'll be stable in the way they make decisions and look at how we depend on our security wings. And if they're stable there, the nation is stable. When I gave the example, I said, when you look at Zambia now and what God has enabled us to be through, to go through, and even though we've we've had our own challenges and, um, and, and things have happened here and there, but the difference between stability and instability can be said and seen when you look at Zambia and you look at what's been happening in the past few weeks in Khartoum, Sudan. A nation that we have to pray for. When you see military regimes behaving that way, taking over, and doing those kinds of things, there is instability in society. And that instability is not just because of military power. I can tell you that if you do a study, you will find out that somewhere in the web and ebb of those people's family lives, they will be cracks. And they are unable to hold themselves together, and that thing shows in how they handle the rest of society. So a stable family life is an assurance for a stable society. And we commend our security wings for just how they, as a unit, and even individually, uh, give space to God. We know that because of where the chaplain stands. Each of our security wings has a, a, a serious level of personnel. The chaplaincy that attend to the spiritual needs. That Zambia must never change. Zambia must never change that. And notice when we have days of national prayer, we have a defense and security choir, and we may take those things for granted. That's not normal. That's not the norm elsewhere. This is a blessing. Hallelujah. Praise God. So family must be protected. That's another ideal. Stable family life is a leadership priority and precondition. That's another idea that we have learned so far as we've been doing session number one. In session number one, we also looked at what values are. We asked ourselves, what are values? Principles and standards of behavior, one's judgment of what is important in life. And this involves individual beliefs that motivate people to act one way or another in a particular direction. That's what we've been establishing. The fact that values guide, they serve as a guide for human behavior. And um, how are values affecting human behavior? How do values affect human behavior? We ask ourselves that question. Generally, people are predisposed to adopt the values that they are raised with. Which means that if we're talking about raising godly families, you can expect that the values that people will respond to more readily will be godly values. People tend to believe those things that uh, that they consider to be right because these are values that are part of their culture. We've also asked ourselves in um, in, in session one, we asked ourselves the question what are Christian values? We say these are values that are based on uh, the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Bible. These are values that rest on the non-negotiable biblical absolutes. And we asked ourselves another question. Is it a problem um, if values are open-ended? We answered, yes, it is a problem when values are open-ended because it leaves the door open. And I gave that example of leaving a door open. Open Open-ended values change with time and circumstances, and that's not what we need. And so, as we did this in session one, we also looked at two key family-related issues that are top on the human rights agenda around the world. One is the redefinition of the family in light of sexual lifestyles and preferences. This past week, I'm sure you saw in the news, BBC turned its attention on uh, Ghana because Ghana was just working through the adoption, in the House of Parliament, the adoption of a a bill that expresses Ghana's desire to stay focused on family values. And a member of parliament was being interviewed by... uh, Uh, a reporter from BBC, and she tried left, right, and center to try and show that they were doing something wrong, and that MP man was so on point in simply stating that what Ghana was doing was their choice, this is the choice of the people, the majority of the people, that it is right. Hallelujah! And that lady tried to say, no, but why are you working against what the the whole world, um, the world system, uh, doesn't really... Want you to work against. And she even tried to say that we uh, are working against the values of the UN. But he was well versed. He was very well versed in stating the fact that the UN to this day has not adopted from the floor the fact that these rules, these sexual preferences, they've attempted. But the nations have not agreed to vote to formally make this thing about sexual orientation as part and parcel of requirements. And I was there in 2010 when such an attempt was made. I was chairman of the National AIDS Council at that time, part of the Zambian delegation. When another attempt was made to adopt a political declaration that would compel every nation to put on the top top priority of their rules and regulations their rights, this issue of sexual orientation. Again, that couldn't pass. What passed was the fact that while people's rights must always be seen as as important in this particular area, and this was a special session specifically dealing with um, HIV at that time. So in the area of disease prevention, it was at least agreed that while these rights may be things that people may need to look at, there was a consensus. And this consensus, for the exception, was moved by Syria and Iran. The projection for trying to insist on um, uh, sexual lifestyles regarding uh, rights of uh, lesbians, gays, and uh, homosexuals, and and, uh, transgenders, and so on, the proposal was being pushed by Brazil and Mexico. And when the representatives of Brazil and Mexico spoke, everybody clapped in that place. When Syria and Iran tried to speak, they were booed. I was present. But thankfully, in that session, what I was agreed upon was the fact that countries must be allowed based on their social priorities and their religious uh, settings to decide what is priority when it comes to these values. And that's the way to go. So nobody should let, to, to tell you that the UN has officially required every country to pick up these laws about uh, gays and lesbians. No. Some NGOs and some embassies out there and some entities that project these roles want to project it that way. But there's no official requirement. At this point, diplomacy is what I am doing. This is open, frank diplomacy. We cannot shy away. Let's learn from the Ghanaians. Hello? And let's not play a middle line here. Let's ensure, and in Kenya as well, learn some lessons from there. Let's ensure that our representatives hear it loud and clear from you and I as parents that we expect Zambia not only to be maintained as a Christian nation, and we thank God that each successive government, including uh, the current uh, New Dawn government, they continue to affirm they continue to affirm that Zambia remains a Christian nation. That's important. But that also means our values, Christian values, must be maintained. Amen. So that's in light of the fact that, you know, in session one, we refer to the fact that there was a renewed campaign for sexual reproductive health rights, uh, particularly for young people, being emphasized out of proportion. Reproductive health rights can be discussed within context, but not with an overemphasis on rights to the extent where sexual preferences become presented as a right. No. Most impacted, young people at a global level. There's much pressure of these open-ended values on them, and the avenue that is used is mainly mass media, uh, generally social media, and the like. We warned about 40 statistics that are presented out there where people say most marriages are unhappy and 50% of them end in divorce, even in the church. uh, We have since learned from very, very credible research from the Feldons, Shanti Feldon, the Sheldon family, they found out That the actual divorce rate has never gotten close to 50%, at least in the context of where this research was done, and that it is significantly lower and has been declining for the last 30 years. So let's believe better. Amen. I can tell you that you can have faith through what we are teaching you here that a good marriage and a stable family life is actually possible in Jesus' name. Somebody shout hallelujah. And we showed how that those who attend church regularly have significantly lower rates of divorce than those who don't, and that most marriages and just so so the vast majority are happy. In that session, we ended by highlighting four responsibilities. One, the need to return to the foundations of God's word. We'll be doing that again today. Recommit individual lives to and children and families to God. Thirdly, the need to recommit to godly connections in the church, uh, family and the need also to change uh, of mindsets. This is important. I thought that we need to bridge that gap for the sake of those who went there, but also because we've had a gap. In session two, we focused on shelter, security, and sustenance for life. As I make this bridge, I want to mention that it is important for us to observe that God, our creator, is the primary and ultimate source of shelter, security, and sustenance. No two ways about it. We must keep that in mind. We reviewed the 10-point plan by Alice Bailey. I'm not going to go over the 10-point plan. It's available online. You just Google and you will have the 10-point plan. But the focus of that 10-point plan which unfortunately has found its way in some of the uh, global documents uh, that are done by global agencies is unfortunately... To change Christian tradition, supposedly, to redeem the nations from Christian tradition. That's an unholy purpose, and we, that's the reason why we've exposed those, 10 point plan, that 10-point plan by Alice Bailey. When we concluded this session, we said, what we must do is return to divine foundations. That is our focus for today. Returning to divine foundations. And I have modified it and wanting it to read Returning to Godly Foundations. We have begun by reading a scripture in uh, Psalm chapter number 11 and verse number 3. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? That's an important question for all of us.
1: Let me begin this
0: portion by stating the fact that only godly foundations assure us as we said earlier, of ultimate shelter, security, and sustenance. Beloved, there are storms in this life. and Last Sunday we heard about these many storms. The thing that shelters you and I from the storms particularly that come against the family, and that come against family life and marriage, the thing that enables us to stand is God's foundation. And I can't say that enough. I want to be able to illustrate what that means. In order to return to godly foundations, I have put together what I have looked
1: at as three commitments. Okay.
0: Thank you. I have put together what I have looked at as three commitments. Just noticing here, my goodness. I hope you picked it up there
1: from my notes. Uh, you
0: need to correct commitments. <laughs> Some things you see. Three commitments that are required of us. Number one, and I walk through these. For the next uh, two three weeks, commitment number one is personal salvation. Commitment number two, commitment number two is personal holiness and the daily application of godly values. Commitment number three is understanding the nature and purpose of God's gift.
1: for life.
0: And that God's gift for life is family life and parenting. Let's deal with commitment number one. Personal
1: salvation. It is important to state
0: in a manner that is unqualified that personal salvation is an absolute requirement for you to succeed in family life. Personal salvation is an absolute requirement for you to succeed in family life. That I would like to say unqualified, and in my own belief, as an absolute. However, I will seek to still find a way of qualifying this. Does that mean that only Christians can enjoy a stable family life? That's not what I'm meaning. But the full enjoyment to capacity of those things that God has ordained are opened up when one is in the house. To enjoy the benefits of any house, you've got to get in. You have to get in.
1: That is why. That is why
0: when you take up a job, they give you an office to operate from. There's got to be an environment in which you operate. And when you get into salvation, it is a gift with a lift. It is a house with so much that God gives. There are some people who come to church looking for young ladies. I remember the times when we just began to uh, broadcast the uh, the liberating truth. And by the way, uh, we should have announced that uh, Revelation TV has. Um, ask for our content. So every Saturday from 9, I think we'll get the full details. That is also on some channel on um, some channel on DSTV. I can't remember which one. We'll bring you the full details. They've asked for our content, so they've begun to broadcast The Liberating Truth. But when we just began this broadcast in 2000, I remember sharing with the church that somebody made me uh, in a shop somewhere and said to me, um, at, that, at that time, we were not using the, the title as bishop. So he says to me, Reverend, I would like to come to your church. Because when I see your choir, I see a lot of beautiful girls. Seriously, this person said that. And I said to him, no, no, no. If you come to church, come because you need Christ. He says, no, I'm serious. I see a lot of beautiful girls. Now some people, Come to church to find someone to marry. And if you're here today, you've come to the right place, but don't put marriage as the center. You need Jesus. You need to be born again. Salvation, personal salvation is necessary. If you see anything good in the kingdom, it is because of Jesus. Because we know Jesus, he gives us the good things that you see, the good things that seem to be attracting you including our daughters. They are daughters of the kingdom. They are born again. So we will not allow you to have them if you are not born again. The qualification to marry anyone in the kingdom is that you must be born again. Let me make it plain. Are we together? Let me make it very plain. So personal salvation is necessary. John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I'm here to announce to you, if you're following this message today remotely, wherever you're at, no matter how many times you've stepped into the church, I want to ask you today, have you made a decision for Jesus Christ? Have you repented of your sins? Have you opened your heart and asked Jesus to come into your heart? Would you today be ready if you died to know that you have a place in heaven? If you have any doubts around those questions, you must be born again. You must receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Jesus loves you. He wants you to know him as a personal Lord and Savior. You have to do that. All of us have had to do that. Your mother, even if she's born again, cannot be saved for you. Let me speak to those of you young people who have grown up in the church, and maybe you've even grown up in our own Sunday school. I want you to understand that you must find a place where you personally receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. In our home. We, we, we made sure. And you might look at our children and you say, oh, no, they maybe behave that way because they're just born into a bishop's house. No, none of them became a Christian by being born into the bishop's house. Our oldest daughter, at four years old, received Jesus as her personal Lord and Savior. Our older, uh, the boys took a little longer, but in their teenage years, they personally, each one of them, gave their hearts to Jesus Christ. on on their own and our, our, our youngest daughter at seven sitting right here during a youth blast a number of years ago when one of my colleagues from oxford had come and we're doing a youth meeting right here as he was ministering here he made an altar call she moved from there came to the altar and gave her heart to the lord jesus christ so each of them independently have found a place where they have found jesus and i'm speaking to you again Being here in not mid-assembly, a Pentecostal church where we preach the gospel, doesn't secure your place in heaven. You personally must open your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter how much we know you, how much we appear to like you, we must go to heaven together, not just by liking you or by you being known by the bishop. You must be born again. Do you hear the message? Hallelujah. You must be born again. John chapter 3 verse 3. Jesus said, No one except a person be born again, they will not enter heaven. So you must be born again. And I'll be giving an opportunity for people today in just a few moments. Personal salvation. Personal salvation. And you young ladies, you young men, don't just go for people's faces and for what they have, find out this young lady that seems to be capturing you. Is she born again? Do they know Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Absolutely necessary. Now, here's why that personal salvation is a foundation, it's a godly foundation. So, as we minister, to the nation. Talking about godly values. Yes, people will know them by head knowledge. But we also expect that in the process, we will be bringing people to Jesus. Because when you know Jesus, the chances shift more positively towards stability than when you don't know him. Remember, it's been, proved. It's been proven by empirical data the role of faith towards stability of the family. The role of personal faith has been proved. My own research, my own doctoral research, proved some of that. But we've also looked at other researchers. And so, we must start right. So, I'll ask you to do a very uncomfortable thing today. Tend to your neighbor and say, neighbor, are you born again? Neighbor, you've received the question, so don't answer yet. I'd like you to answer by the time that I'm done preaching. So, when you come to Psalm 128, you will observe, the Bible says in Psalm 128, blessed are those who fear the Lord. People talk about people being God-fearing. God-fearing is not just a notion of having some kind of respect for God out there. True God-fearing is Activity has to do with offering your heart to Him, giving your heart to Him, allowing Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. That's the actualization of being God fearing. Hallelujah. So that's commitment number one personal
1: salvation. Commitment number two.
0: Commitment number two. Now
1: salvation doesn't just automatically give you
0: all that um, uh, is expected to to be done. Salvation opens the door and you get to see in the house all that is available. The second requirement is that from you as an individual, there has to be a personal commitment to personal holiness, daily application of godly lives. Personal holiness and daily application of godly values.
1: That now is the work that
0: begins. I want to make it very plain because I can only talk about things that we have experienced.
1: And for those who are in
0: families where you're challenged, your relationship is strained, and you're wondering, but I'm a Christian. Why is my marriage like this? This second commitment probably becomes the answer why. There has to be a very careful, And deliberate, personal holiness and daily application of God's, of godly values. That has to be. It has to be prioritized by yourself. Meaning you as an individual husband or leader of a family, even if you're a single parent, male or female, personally, you have to say, personal holiness, and the application of godly values is a priority for me. If, and as and when you do that, the rest is guaranteed. And I'll show you in the next two sessions how the guarantees that come when you do this. Those who struggle in family life, I can assure you, if they are honest, they'll tell you that when it comes, they may be personally saved, But when it comes to prioritizing personal holiness and the deliberate application of godly values, it's as and when they can remember. No, but it can't work like that. It can't work like that. So let's begin in Matthew 7. Matthew 7. I've told you this is an epic passage of scripture for me in my life. Matthew 7, beginning at verse number 21. Personal application personal holiness, and daily application of godly values. Matthew 7, verse
1: number
0: 21. The Bible says there, uh, let me pick it up quickly before it comes. Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does. Are we together? The one who does. So, once you're saved, there is the doing. So there are those of you who come to church, you want to capture this beautiful young lady who is a Christian, and once you've captured her, you say, ah, it's done now. And after marriage,
1: you disappear.
0: And we've had some young brides that come and say, no, now this is what is happening, now this is what is happening, and the guy literally refuses, no. Go, you can go to your church. It's okay. And there's a sudden change.
1: It has to do with doing the
0: will of the Lord, doing what he says. Many, verse 22, will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we did not, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons. And in your name perform many miracles. So, they may have done these things. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. It means that there was a gap. A lack of application. A lack of commitment to personal holiness. And the application, the daily application of godly values. Beloved, been in marriage today for 34 years, going 35. What keeps, I want to say again, what keeps me in this marriage is not because I'm a bishop or because I'm a pastor. These are things that have happened as callings over life. In fact, being a bishop, like presiding bishop, is an assignment. It's not a calling. My calling is, you know, to be, this pastor, to be this apostle, because I believe God has called me into an apostolic ministry. That's on the side. But something else, as you've heard, it was played by the media today, something else is underlying which qualifies me for the offices I hold. And that is how I run the family. How I run the family is dependent on exactly this. Having to live as a Christian with this princess
1: of mine here. And she will tell you. With God's help, we have
0: worked hard at making sure that I live as a Christian, she lives as a Christian. That's what gives us a good marriage. It's so tough. This is partly also just being uh, the person that I am. It's so tough that even when you want to uh, pretend do something you can't. Let, let me just give you a good example. The other day, uh, allow me to use this one. The other day, she had not been feeling too well, so while we were out at the conference, she went in for uh, test including COVID. And so she, then she said to me, "Please call the doctor because he said that uh, he was sending the result." So the doctor called that evening, and I had the result. So she's in the sitting room. And I'm walking there. So, oh, the doctor just called. And I wanted. I said, let me pull her leg. So I said, the doctor called. And he actually says, it is positive. And she said, what? You know, I couldn't hold it. I began to smile. And of course, it was clear. I couldn't pretend anymore. And there was laughter there. At that very moment, Lisa called and said, can you imagine? Dad was trying to prank me. You know this man. He's so much a Christian, there's no way he can even prank. It's hard to, well, we laughed about it, but it's hard to be something else. Even when you're jesting, it's hard to say something that's not. That, that's just it. It's hard to make up something. The hardest things to do in my life have been times when I'm trying to surprise her. And you're working with people and so on. and you're having, It's so tough. And so I say to one of our daughters the other week when it was uh, her birthday, I said to the daughters that we met at the luncheon there, I said, you know what? It's so hard. I can't see how people manage to live two lives. Because just keeping this whole thing that I was trying to do for her on that, it was tough. You just feel like there's something wrong somewhere. Beloved, it pays to be real. A true Christian life is possible without pretense. And I invite you to that kind of life where personal holiness becomes a value for you. Somebody shout hallelujah. Lift up an hand and say, Lord, help me to return to the foundation of personal holiness and daily application of godly values. In Jesus' name, may that be your portion. Hallelujah. Let's give it up for Jesus. If we go to Matthew 7 and pick up verse number 24, look at the following. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Beloved, what, is, what this is saying is that there's no use for you and I to come here, listen to sermons, to appear to do God's word, and we don't put them into practice. The real issue here is, beloved, ask God for grace. Put these things into practice. You know, if you do this, beloved, if you do even half of this, even half of this, we've shown with empirical data already that you will make a difference in life. And I want to speak more to husbands and heads of homes that it relies on you a lot because of how God has set up the home, and the family. May God help you. Hallelujah. May God help you. So it says if you put them into practice, it's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew, and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall. You will not fall if you do the things we are talking about here. You will not fall. This is where stability comes from. This is where a stable family life and where successful parenting comes from. Don't ever give up on yourself, beloved. Don't ever give up on your spouse. This thing is doable in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's look further. But everyone who hears these words of mine, verse 26, and does not do them or do them into practice, does not put them, rather, into practice, is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. God forbid. We don't want great crashes. This year, And this coming year, we want houses that stand and stand in a stable manner because you are building on the right foundation. May that be your portion in Jesus' name. With this, we can go back to Psalm 128. Look at how Psalm 128 puts it. Psalm 128 puts it this way. That, let me pick it up. Psalm 128 puts it this way. Blessed are all those who fear the Lord. So, personal salvation. Number two, who walk in obedience to him. That's the last part of Psalm 128. So, walking in obedience to him is about personal holiness and the application of godly values. Not just the intermittent application, the daily application of godly values. Ah, may God help you, beloved. This thing is doable in Jesus' name. We can't deal with personal holiness and the daily application of godly values without referring to Deuteronomy chapter six, verse one to four. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse one to four, we've read it over and over again. Let's go there again today. In Deuteronomy six, the Bible says. I'll go to the last one shortly. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you, to observe in the land that you, your children, and their children after them May fear. Oh, I skipped something actually. Some I speak, skipped something there to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Excuse me. Then, verse 2 so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all the decrees and commands that I give you today, so that you may enjoy. Long life. That's the guarantee. Hallelujah. But look at the next one. Verse 3. Hear, Israel, hear all not me, hear everyone, and be careful to obey. Again, that's about personal holiness. Be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land which is flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord your God and of your ancestors promised you. hear Israel. Verse 4 is very graphic. Hear Israel. The Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. That should be up to verse 6 actually, not verse 4. With all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments I give to you today are to be on your hearts impress them on your children. Talk about them. That's deliberateness. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. This is talking about personal holiness and the daily application of godly values. Do not be scared. This thing is doable. You didn't hear me. I said do not be scared. This thing is doable.
1: here hear you
0: saying amen. That's the way to go. For a person like you that is a parent now in your uh, a grandfather, now in your 50s, but a parent also of, of a little uh, girl, <laughs> this, this is exactly what it means. The children must see this as predictable about you. This is where dad starts. They don't see dad at church doing one thing, and then at home opening this special fridge that's in the in the in the bedroom where he can boast about a variety of wines, where they came from, and can drink secretly, be a sipping saint. No. What your children see here church when they see you in the home what they see is what they must be able to know that they're getting because that's the reality of who you are and I want to speak to you men I can't say it enough this is doable God is able you can do it I have seen that benefit personally 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 the freshness brings into your life The vitality. But then also, the example it sets and how you can influence others wherever you go. God receive the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Lastly for today. The third commitment. The need to understand the nature and purpose of God's gifts. God's gift of family life and parenting. So, the three commitments that are foundational for you to have this this dividend of a stable family life and a stable level of parenting in a day and a life and a world where there are open-ended values are these ones I've mentioned here. Personal salvation is foundational. We we'll build on it. Personal holiness and the application, daily application of godly values, foundation. But the third foundation is there has to be an understanding of the nature and purpose of God's gift of family life and parenting. Some people want marriage. I want to ask you why. Why do you want marriage? There some people who want marriage so badly they are not concerned about their actual life in terms of salvation. No. There's something more important than marriage. Salvation. You can miss marriage, but you don't want to afford to miss heaven. You could be married and miss heaven. But that is why foundation number one is is salvation. Because with salvation, if you don't experience marriage here, There is a marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven where we'll all be joined together to our Lord Jesus Christ because marriage here on earth speaks of our commitment and connection to the Lord in heaven. So Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 says marriage is honorable and the bed undefiled. That is why God says that uh, he will judge those who adulterate marriage those who've taken marriage to be like this open thing that could be handled anyhow and uh, those people who don't like us having to state that according to god marriage is a uh, in, in, as far as god is concerned is between a male and a female that god's standard of the family is husband wife and children. There may be biological children. There may be adopted children. Whatever the case is, that is God's order. And so, you must understand the purpose. And let me tell you that salvation helps you to have a thirst for understanding the gifts of God. That's the stability. So, salvation helps you to understand that. You do not overly project something and make it more important than it is. Marriage is important. But it's not more important than salvation. But when you receive it, you you are required to run it in God's way. Back to Psalm 128. You will eat of the fruit of labor, of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots. We will come and expound this as under guarantees that we will be talking about. But just see the purpose here. God expects family life to be real. But the last thing I would like to say regarding the purpose of marriage in general is that we've taught in the past that the purpose of marriage is threefold. According to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28, the purpose of family, marriage and family, in that sense, put together, is threefold. One, I've taught before, reflection. Two, replication. Three, ruling. In Genesis 1 verse 26, the Bible says, let us make man in our own image. After the image of God, after our image, uh, we, then man was made. After God's image, man was made. Now, God made them male and female. Then he gave them the command be fruitful and multiply. So, first, when God said, Let us make man in our own image, God made man and put him in a family setting for reflection, for man to reflect his image. So, that is why Ephesians 5 marriage is sin. As an indication of the life between God and his church. That is why a husband is taught to love his wife as Christ loved the church. It's to mirror what God already is. And that is why we cannot accept people redefining marriage and family to look anything other than what it has been defined as in the word. Because purpose must be sustained. And where purpose is unclear, it has been said, abuse is inevitable. And people who have not understood the purpose of marriage and family life have abused it to think it could be interpreted anyhow, defined anyhow, that a man and a man can make a family, and a woman and a woman can make a family, and they must have legal rights to adopt children. Not in that setting, not according to God's word. Yes, in these societies where those rights are given, they are free to take them. But they should not force us to think that that is what God has said. What God has said is that this is the purpose for marriage. To mirror God's image. And God's image is man, wife, family, children. Secondly, replication. Replication meaning they can be fruitful. Multiply. Replication means that you and I are given the room to reproduce and have children. That's what family life is based upon. So gives, God gives that gift so that we can actually multiply. That's replication. That's God's purpose. And we'll talk more about it. And the last purpose is ruling. He expects the family to be so stable here. So the family can send forth the children. They are a heritage. Psalm 127. They are a heritage. They go out as arrows and they take charge in the gates. Hallelujah. So from the family, we send forth our children and we bring stability to family. So in this third session, I have attempted to help us to observe these foundations. I call us today, beloved, to these foundations. Let's go right back there. And as we go back to the foundations, we will see the emergence of what God has ordained. May it be your portion. I want you as a man and you as a woman, if you are in a marriage setting, to determine, to return to God's foundations. If you're a single parent, you're running a family, determine to return God's foundation. This is a blessing guaranteed as we seek Him. And I want to pray in that direction today so that everything we have ministered here becomes a reality in your life and you become the influence that God has intended for you to be. May God bless you, beloved. And I want you to have faith not only in God, but have faith. Also, in the fact that as you hear God's word, you will act on it. So believe a little more in yourself. You are able to do it. You are not a piece of wood. You are not a piece of uh, tool thrown out there. Even if the world rejects you, God has accepted you. You will make a difference in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are in God's hands. A weapon for battle. And you can turn some things around, including your own mistakes, and bring things to a place where God's foundation can begin to blossom in your life. God bless you, beloved. Let's rise. I'll ask the choir to come. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We're in the presence of Jesus.